Yes, a few candles here, some crushless panties there, toss a handful of rose petals on the bed, and it'll be just like the very first time. What's that you say? He's still checking out other women? She's still got an air of detachment, diso- detached disappointment? He's finished before you've begun? Well, then let the experts figure out what ails you, your partner, your relationship. Perhaps his penis needs enlarging or her vagina needs a retrofit. Maybe he has a commitment issues, a fragmentary superego, or the dreaded Peter Pan complex. Are you depressed? You say you love your spouse of, of a dozen years, but you don't feel sexually attracted the way you used to? One or both of you are tempted by another? Maybe you too should try doing it in the kitchen floor. Or force yourself to do it every night for a year. Maybe he is going through a midlife crisis. Take these pills. Get a new hairstyle. Something must be wrong with you. Ever feel like the victim of a well-intentioned inquisition? This split personality relationship with our true sexual nature is anything but news to entertainment corporations who have long reflected the same fractured sensibility between public pronouncements and private desire. In 2000, under the headline, Wall Street Meets Pornography, the New York Times reported that General Motors sold more graphic sex films than Larry Flint, owner of the Hustler Empire. Over 8 million American subscribers to DirecTV, a General Motors subsidiary, were spending about $200 million a year on pay-per-view sex films from satellite providers. Similarly, Rupert Murdoch, owner of the Fox News Network and the nation's leading conservative newspaper, The Wall Street Journal, was pulling in more porn money through a satellite company than Playboy made with its magazine, cable, and internet businesses combined. AT&T, also a supporter of conservative values, sells hardcore porn to over a million hotel rooms throughout the country via its hot network. The frantic sexual hypocrisy in America is inexplicable if we adhere to traditional models of human sexuality, insisting that monogamy is natural, marriage is a human universal, and any family structure other than the nuclear is aberrant. We need a new understanding of ourselves, based not on pulpit proclamations or feel-good Hollywood fantasies, but on a bold and unashamed assessment of the plentiful scientific data that illuminate the true origins and nature of human sexuality. We are at war with our eroticism. We battle our hungers, expectations, and disappointments. Religion, politics, and even science square off against biology and millions of years of evolved appetites. How to defuse this intractable struggle? In the following pages, we reassess some of the most important science of our time.
we question the deepest assumptions brought to contemporary views of marriage, family structure, and sexuality, issues affecting each of us every day and every night, will show that human beings evolved in intimate groups where almost everything was shared, food, shelter, protection, child care, even sexual pleasure. We don't argue that humans are natural-born Marxist hippies, nor do we hold that romantic love was unknown or unimportant in prehistoric communities. But we'll demonstrate that contemporary culture misrepresents the link between love and sex. With and without love, a casual sexuality was the norm for our prehistoric ancestors. Let's address the question you're probably already asking. How can we possibly know anything about sex in prehistory? Nobody alive today was there to witness prehistoric life. And since social behaviors leaves no fossils, isn't this all just wild speculation? Not quite. There's an old story about the trial of a man charged with biting off another man's finger in a fight. An eyewitness took the stand. The defense attorney asked, Did you actually see my client bite off the finger? The witness said. Well, no, I didn't. Aha! said the attorney with a smug smile. How then can you claim he bit off the man's finger? Well, replied the witness, I saw him spit it out. In addition to a great deal of circumstantial evidence from societies around the world and closely related non-human primates, we'll take a look at some of what evolution has spit out. We'll examine the anatomical evidence still evident in our bodies and the yearning for sexual novelty expressed in our pornography, advertising, and after-work happy hours. We'll even decode messages in the so-called, quote, copulatory vocalizations, unquote, of thy neighbor's wife, as she calls out ecstatically in the still of the night. Readers acquainted with the recent literature on human sexuality will be familiar with what we call the standard narrative of human sexual evolution, hereafter shortened to the standard narrative. It goes something like this, number one, boy meets girl. Two, boy and girl assess one another's mate value from perspectives based upon their differing reproductive agendas slash capacities. He looks for signs of youth, fertility, health, absence of previous sexual experience, and likelihood of future sexual fidelity. In other words, his assessment is skewed toward finding a fertile, healthy young mate with many childbearing years ahead and no current children to drain his resources. She looks for signs of wealth, or at least prospects of future wealth, social status, physical health, and likelihood that he will stick around to protect and provide for their children. Her guy must be willing and able to provide materially for her, especially during pregnancy and breastfeeding, and their children known as male paternal investment. Number three, 
boy gets girl. Assuming they meet one another's criteria, they mate, forming a long-term pair bond, the fundamental condition of the human species, as famed author Desmond Morris puts it. Once the pair bond is formed, she will be sensitive to indications that he is considering leaving. Vigilant towards signs of infidelity involving intimacy with other women that, that would threaten her access to his resources and protection, while keeping an eye out around ovulation especially for a quick fling with a man genetically superior to her husband. He will be sensitive to signs of her sexual infidelities, which would reduce his all-important paternal certainty while taking advantage of short-term sexual opportunities with other women as his sperm are easily produced and plentiful. Researchers claim to have confirmed these basic patterns in studies conducted around the world over several decades. Their results seem to support the standard narrative of human sexual evolution, which appears to make a lot of sense, but they don't and it doesn't. While we don't dispute that these patterns play out in many parts of the modern world, we don't see them as elements of human nature so much as adaptations to social conditions, many of which were introduced with the advent of agriculture no more than 10,000 years ago. These behaviors and predilections are not biologically programmed traits of our species. They are evidence of the human brain's flexibility and the creative potential of community. To take just one example, we argue that women's seemingly consistent preference for men with access to wealth is not a result of innate evolutionary programming, as the standard model asserts, but simply a behavioral adaptation to a world in which men control a disproportionate share of the world's resources. As we'll explore in detail, before the advent of agriculture, a hundred centuries ago, women typically had as much access to food, protection, and social support as did men. We'll see that upheavals in human societies resulting from the shift to settled living in agricultural communities brought radical changes to women's ability to survive. Suddenly, a woman lived in a world where they had to barter their reproductive capacity for access to the resources and protection they needed to survive. But these conditions were very, are very different from those in which our species had been evolving previously. It's important to keep in mind that when viewed against the full scale of our species' Existence 10,000 years is but a brief moment. Even if we ignore the roughly 2 million years since the emergence of our homo lineage, in which our direct ancestors lived in small foraging social groups, anatomically, modern humans are estimated to have existed as long as 200,000 years with the earliest evidence of agriculture dating to about 8,000 BCE. The amount of time 
Our species has spent living in settled agricultural societies represents just 5% of our collective experience at most. As recently as a few hundred years ago, most of the planet was still occupied by foragers. So, in order to trace the deepest roots of human sexuality, it's vital to look beneath the thin crust of recent human history. Until agriculture, human beings evolved in societies organized around an insistence on sharing just about everything. But all this sharing doesn't make anyone a noble savage. These pre-agricultural societies were no nobler than you are when you pay your taxes or insurance premiums. Universal, culturally imposed sharing was simply the most effective way for our highly social species to minimize risk. Sharing and self-interest, as we shall see, are not mutually exclusive. Indeed, what many anthropologists call fierce egalitarianism was the predominant pattern of social organization around the world for many millennia before the advent of agriculture. But human societies changed in radical ways. Once they started farming and raising domesticated animals, they organized themselves around hierarchical political structures, private property, densely populated settlements, a radical shift in the status of women and other social configurations that together represent an enigmatic disaster for our species. Human population growth mushroomed as quality of life plummeted. The shift to agriculture, wrote author Jared Diamond, is a catastrophe from which we have never recovered. Several types of evidence suggest our pre-agricultural, prehistoric ancestors lived in groups where most mature individuals would have had several ongoing sexual relationships at any given time. Though often casual, these relationships were not random or meaningless. Quite the opposite, they reinforced crucial social ties holding these highly interdependent communities together. We found overwhelming evidence of a decidedly casual, friendly prehistory of human sexuality echoed in our own bodies. In the habits of remaining societies still lingering in relative isolation, and in some surprising corners of contemporary Western culture, we'll show how our bedroom behavior Porn preferences, fantasies, dreams, and sexual responses all support this reconfigured understanding of our sexual origins. Questions you'll find answered in the following pages include Why is a long-term sexual fidelity so difficult for so many couples? Why does sexual passion often fade even so love deep, even as love deepens? Why are women potentially multi-orgasmic, while men all too often reach orgasm frustratingly quickly and then lose interest? Is sexual jealousy an unavoidable, uncontrollable part of human nature? 
Why are human testicles so much larger than those of gorillas, but smaller than those of chimps? Can sexual frustration make us sick? How did a lack of orgasms cause one of the most common diseases in history, and how was it treated?